Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, we hope you enjoy this repeat broadcast. So glad you could be with us for this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. With me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. We continue looking at an article titled, Ten Reasons You Should Be a Mormon. It was written by a Latter-day Saint woman by the name of Stephanie Ruby Falmo, and you can find it on LDSLiving.com. And as we mentioned when we began this series, she is giving 10 reasons that she feels are very important as to why she is LDS and why we also should become a Mormon. And I can appreciate that. Look, I don't want this to be misunderstood. I'm sure she's very sincere in what she believes. However, when you have Latter-day Saints approaching you, Christian, with reasons like this, how are you going to respond to some of these reasons? Because personally, I don't feel that what she's given us so far, and we've looked at the first four points, are really all that convincing when you look a little bit deeper at what she's trying to tell us. Her fifth point, we have the biggest missionary program ever. There are currently about 74,900 missionaries throughout the world in 405 missions. None are paid. They don't get to choose their destination. The prophet and apostles do that. They go for 18 months to two years, and they start as early as 18 years of age. We even have to save our own money to serve. Why do we do it? Because we know that this is the true church of Jesus Christ and that it will bring more happiness and peace to your life than you can ever know otherwise. That's why I did it. This is the second time that she's mentioned the paid aspect. And we've already shown in in yesterday's show that they really do have a paid clergy, despite the fact that Stephanie is maybe not aware of that. But when it comes to the missionaries, she says none are paid and that they raise their own money. And, And that's true. A lot of them do. From a very young age, they start saving for their mission. And that's commendable. We're not taking anything away from that. But not every missionary is capable of doing that, especially a lot of the missionaries that are called in third world countries who come from very poor families. Who makes up that difference? The church. The church makes up that difference. So if the church is making up that difference, Stephanie, would you consider them to be paid? I would think so. Now, you might say, well, it's merely a stipend, but still a stipend is something that you're given that you don't have to give yourself. So we can play with words if we want. And I'm not taking away from the fact that the missionaries, many of them that are out there, are certainly very sincere, just as I'm sure she is sincere. But just because they don't get paid doesn't necessarily mean that what they're saying is true. It just means they're sincere in what they're saying. And there's no doubt that they're sincere when they go out on their missions. But to me, point number five is biography. It's not an apologetic. Why should I join the church just because you have a large missionary program? There are a lot of missionaries out there for Christians. Why shouldn't somebody consider Christianity because of that? I would say that's not a reason to accept Christianity as being true. Instead, find out what they're saying about Christianity and then see if that's true. But just because you have a large program is, to me, meaningless. Well, I think she's also trying to imply, because she says none are paid, that somehow the sincerity of the missionaries coming from the Mormon church must be greater than perhaps the missionaries from other Christian churches. 
I don't know, that would be fair. But you're talking about, okay, they save up for two years. Well, Stephanie, are you aware that Christian missionaries are out there for the rest of their lives? I'm not doing what I'm doing for a mere two-year period. This is my lifelong calling. And so how would I raise my support? I have to do it really the same way many of the missionaries have to do. I solicit support from those who are like-minded and like what I'm going to be doing and how I'm going to be doing it. And they help me just as I'm sure a lot of family members and a lot of friends donate towards the cause of the young missionary that goes out for a mere two-year period. And how many Christian missionaries go out with their own savings? I mean, I'm not trying to lift myself up, but when I was 20, I went to the Philippines for a summer. I didn't raise any money. I had saved that money over a period of two years so that I could actually go on a mission myself. Number six, we know death does not separate families. She writes, God put us on this earth in families so we can learn and grow together. We all have a need for a family unit where we can learn how to avoid the evils of this world and become strong. Satan is constantly attacking the family today because it is the most important thing in our lives. But would God put us here in families just to break them apart at death? Of course not. That's why when we are married, it is not till death, but for all time and eternity. This is done in the 141 temples around the world where families are being united every day. Now, to our Christian listeners, how would you respond to Stephanie's comment here in point number six? But would God put us here in families just to break them apart at death? Of course not. My response would be, Stephanie, are you telling me that every single family in the Mormon church is going to be reunited as a family unit in the next life? There's not going to be any family who is missing anyone? Are you assuming that every member in the LDS church is keeping celestial law and qualified to get into the celestial kingdom where and only where members of the LDS church are going to be reunited with their family. If you are living merely terrestrial law in the Mormon church, which means you are going to the terrestrial kingdom after you die and not the celestial kingdom, you will not be with your family in the next life according to Mormon doctrine. You could also have a family member who may qualify for even a lower level known as the telestial kingdom. That individual also will not be with the family throughout eternity. So when she writes point number six, we know death does not, in capital letters, separate families. That's not even true in Mormonism. Though my first and foremost desire is certainly to be with my Savior, it doesn't take away from the fact that I would love to be with family members in the next life. But again, to be with the family of God is predicated on the fact that we are all believers in Jesus and that we all have our sins forgiven because that's who's going to be in heaven, forgiven people. Those are the only humans that are going to be in heaven, are those who are forgiven. In Mormonism, the only way you're going to be united with your family is if you all are keeping celestial law. If you don't keep celestial law, or even if you decide to leave the Mormon church, you are disqualified from being with your family in the next life. So when she says, but would God put us here in families just to break them apart at death? Of course not. Well, in Mormonism, that seems to be the case. So I don't think she's being quite accurate when she tries to make this point here. Point number seven, we have temples. 
You've probably seen a temple in a picture or real life, but they aren't just pretend castles. In ancient times, God commanded his people to build temples to perform sacred ordinances like marriage, which I mentioned above. With the restoration of his church through the prophet Joseph Smith, building temples became a commandment once again. They are beautiful in the house of the Lord on earth. You can feel the peace there even just walking around the grounds. Well, let me go back to her first sentence. You've probably seen a temple in a picture or real life, but they aren't just pretend castles. In ancient times, God commanded his people to build temples to perform sacred ordinances like marriage. Really? I would challenge Stephanie on this. Where do you find anywhere in history where marriages were performed in the temple in Jerusalem? Not in the Bible. That was not something that took place in temples. The temple in the Old Testament, the temple existing in the New Testament, was primarily for the sacrifice of animals. It was for the sacrifice of animals. We don't see anywhere in history or even given to us in Scripture that marriages were performed in any of the temple, whether it was Solomon's, Zerubbabel's, or Herod's temple. We don't find that. What about in ancient America with the Book of Mormon? Any temples there? Not that there's any evidence to support this, that's for sure. Certainly there were pagan temples that were built in South and Central America. We don't find anything that we have representing the temple in Jerusalem. And not only that, but notice how she says we have temples, not just temple. Because in the Old and New Testament times, how many temples did they have? Well, true temples where God resided, one, and that was found in Jerusalem. Now, certainly the Samaritans had built a temple on Mount Gerizim, and it was rejected. And Jesus talks about this in John chapter 4, when he's talking to the woman at the well, that you Samaritans, you worship what you don't know. And for the Jews, they worship what they did know. And so there was only one acceptable temple. And so to have, as she mentioned in the previous paragraph, 141 temples, why so many? And I think her statement, you can feel the peace there, even just walking around the grounds. Does that mean it's true? I don't think this is really a good piece of evidence to prove that Mormonism is true. But again, I don't want to take away from Stephanie's sincerity because she, like many Latter-day Saints, I'm sure, strongly believes that because her church has these elements that somehow, if it's good for her, it's good for other people. But one thing I'm not finding yet in her list, and we still have another day to go through this, I don't really see the evidence that she uses to support some of the things that she believes, or even some of the reasons why her church teaches some of the things that it believes. That should be a huge trigger point for any person. Do we want to believe this just because it may make us feel good? Or do we want to believe it because it's true? If it's not true, do we really want to believe it? And it goes back to that question that I often ask Latter-day Saints when I engage in a conversation with them. Does it honor God to believe something that is false? If it doesn't honor God to believe something's false, and a lot of what the Mormon church is teaching is false, Should you be a Mormon? And I think that question is really a very important question that not only do Latter-day Saints need to answer, but I think everybody needs to answer when it comes to the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Is it a good reason to believe in something just because your heart tells you that it feels good? 
because when you walk around in a temple, yes, they're beautiful buildings, but the Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So just because you feel good doesn't mean that what you're doing is the right thing or your belief system is true. And I think that's one of the reasons why we have the written word. We have to have something that's outside of ourselves that's trustworthy. And we do believe as Christians it's trustworthy. But we need to go to it because, as you've said, if our heart is deceitful, couldn't we be deceived in thinking something is true just because we like something? And I would say Absolutely. And that's why trusting in your heart, trusting in your feelings is so dangerous and why I feel the Bible gives us so many warnings against such a test. We need to do better than that. We need to go outside of ourselves. Tomorrow we continue looking at 10 reasons you should be a Mormon. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism. Pastor, could your congregation benefit from a presentation that explains the differences between Mormonism and New Testament Christianity? MRM's Bill McKeever and Eric Johnson would be honored to come to your church. Whether it's a single crash course or a weekend symposium, hundreds of churches have benefited from their fully documented and easy-to-understand PowerPoint presentations. If you'd like to schedule MRM at your church, simply write us at contact at mrm.org. Again, that's contact at mrm.org. Dot org.